Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Marvin's World Podcast. In this particular episode, we have the founder of Armoured Combat League, and you may know him from Night Fight. And in this podcast, we're going to find out about how he changed from a career of being in the Marines to finding his true passion. Hello, Andre. Sounds good. We're Armoured Combat Worldwide now. We've changed the name of the league to Armored Combat Worldwide. Make it, as I say, more diverse and more collected as a whole. And what... Yeah, exactly. Bringing more people from all over the world involved. What, um, to, like, tell us a bit about yourself and what was your journey into your passion as a whole? Well, you know, I was always a physical person. I, uh, in high school, I played football, uh, American football. Um, and uh, right after high school, I joined the Marine Corps, and the Marine Corps is a very physical military. And um, even while I was in the Marine Corps, I, I had come across some people fighting in armor uh, in an in a organization that used rattan weapons. And uh, it looked like fun to me. I mean, I love, I always loved reading about knights and history. And uh, I love our history. I love our diverse history and that time period. And uh, I said, yeah, let me give this a shot. I'm a big guy. You know, I probably, I might be good at this. And I tried it out. And, you know, when you first start, you get your butt kicked. Um, but it just motivates you to, to work harder and get better at it. And uh, over the years, um, I fought for many years with uh, with rattan weapons, and then I heard in 2011, I heard that there was uh, uh, people fighting overseas with real steel weapons, and and the nations were fight fighting together, and and different countries were coming together, and I said America needs a team, and I knew people from all over the United States that were that were fighting in in the rattan leagues, and I said it should be an easy transfer for us to, to, you know, try out this new sport with, with steel weapons. And uh, some people thought we were crazy. And I had the ability of putting together a 50-man team of which I could only get 29 people the first year <laughs> because everybody thought it was a crazy idea. And um, I went overseas with 29 fighters and the, the hook was in at that point. You know, the Americans were, were, were hooked on this, uh, on this new sport. And it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, I thought all my years of experience would pay off that very first year. And we went overseas and got our butts kicked. We went to, to Poland for a world championship. And uh, we got our butts kicked that year. And But we learned and we looked at what we had to improve when we came home. And we worked very, very hard. And uh, the next year we did far better. And over the years, it's just kind of grown. What um what lessons do you take from your past experiences, like being in the Marines, and like how has that helped with forming your passion? Well, I was the uh, the captain of the team uh, and and the head of the organization, and as a Marine Corps, I, I was in Marines for thirty two years. So uh, as a Marine Corps officer, I had learned how to build teams and um, and manage people and lead. Uh, you know, in, in, in many different capacities, not only on, on the field and in a battlefield situation, but also uh, the, the planning process, um, you know, planning the logistics of making a trip or, or building the organization and making sure that we have, uh, we've taken care of our people. And, uh, you know, being a Marine officer, I think uh, it, it's it's been helpful in my life in every aspect of my life because it's helped me to to deal with people and, and situations and um, you know, not, not be too stressed about it. Hmm. What, so, I mean, you said that, you know, it was, it was a struggle and it was a lot harder than you expected to it, than you expected. But what, what sort of advice would you give to someone who would look to follow their passion, even though it's considered maybe a bit off color, as it were? Well, you know, um, I've always loved, uh, I've always loved sword fighting and knights and that medieval time period. And 
I actually have a degree in biology and I have a degree in hydrogeology. And what I do now is run a medieval league and I build armor for, for people that sword fight as a, as a living. And I'm very successful. And the, the, the point to your question is if you find something that you love to do, you dive into it, you can find a way to be successful. And, and I've got a family and I feed my children well. And, and uh, I run an armory that's uh, the, the oldest and the largest armory in the Americas. My business has been around for over 30 years. And uh, the, uh, the league, our, our league is over 650 members right now in several countries. And uh, we're, we're, I don't know, we may be the fastest growing league in the, in the, in the world for what we do. Um, if not, we're definitely the top, you know, top five. But, you know, the, the, the point is, if you love something and you have a passion for something, you should follow it. And, and, and you should definitely dive into it. And, and if you love going to work every day like I do, I'm 54 years old. I love going to work. I love this league. Every single day I work on the league. I get to meet people from all over the world. And um, I love my life. Life is good. What, what, what do you say to people who, like, they want to do a passion, but they're, like, stuck in another job, and they're, they're scared of taking that plunge into what they want to do? Well, what I did, um, for example, my business, um, the armory business, I started it as a side job. You know, I had other things going on in my life that I was doing, and I did it just on the side. And it grew and it grew and it grew and it got bigger and bigger. And uh, now it's, you know, the, between the armory and the league, it's, my, it's what I do full time now. Uh, you know, you can, you can do your passion. And if you're stuck in a job, you might have to work a little harder. You know, when I went to school, I, it's interesting you kind of bring this up because I was just talking to somebody yesterday about this. Um, they talk to a lot of kids nowadays and they say, I'm, I'm going to college. And I go, well, what do you do for a, for a living? Because you have people that want to join the league and they go, well, it's very expensive to get involved because I have to buy armor and, um, you know, we have to travel. And uh, I say, well, what do you do for a living? And they'll say, well, I'm in college right now. And I'll say, well, what do you do for a living though? And they'll say, well, I'm in college. I don't, I don't work. And when I was a kid and I was going to college, I, I worked full time. I was in the Marine Corps. I went to school full time and I, I started this, uh, this um, job on the side so it requires more work it requires you know really getting you know getting your nose into it and working hard and if you're dedicated and you're committed to working hard and getting something in life you can have anything you want i think in, in free countries like ours we can have whatever we want some countries it's not it's not the yeah. case but certainly in our countries if you work hard you can have whatever you want yeah and what um so with the whole armor combat league worldwide how does the point system work and how how does that work so we have two different types of combat we have single combat which is counted blows so if you and i were fighting it'd be the amount of times that i hit you compared to how many times you hit me it's just a simple counted blows uh uh system where we have referees you have four referees two will watch how many times i hit you two will watch how many times you hit me they'll compare notes at the end and they'll declare a winner at the end of the round so that's one way and it's called single combat we're dueling and then we have melee combat melee combat is teams we have female teams and male teams female teams are, are three on three uh, male teams are five on five ten on ten sixteen on sixteen and those, the way those work is you either go get put to the ground or you submit. Um, you got hit so hard that you're hurt or you don't want anymore. You put your hand in the air and you submit. Or you get hit so hard that you're, you're down on the ground. So it's last per literally last person standing. Ah, so it's a bit like gypsy, um, what's it called? Gypsy bare knuckle boxing, where they have a thing where they give best where you either give up or you get knocked out yeah yeah i guess so i, I don't know gypsy bare knuckle boxing but it does sound similar and i mean in terms of the injuries and all that i mean how how what are the safety procedures in it and how does it compare with other combat sports 
Well, we're very, very aware that this is a dangerous sport and we do everything we can to mitigate those injuries. Uh, we've got trained referee staff, we have armor standards, we have weapon standards. So you can't have, you can't bring out armor that hasn't been inspected. We have an inspection process before the fight start and uh, the armor has gone over to make sure that there, there's no failures, there's no metal fatigue, there's no uh, unusual gaps. Um, the armor has to really has to follow your body and has to protect you well. So you're not going to come out there with plastic armor or cardboard armor or, or, or some cheap armor that you, you got off of eBay. Um, it's got to be well-made armor for this sport. Um, weapons, the same thing. You know, you can buy a really cheap weapon and we've had people, you know, when we first started, they would just buy whatever weapon they, they had and they would kind of adjust it to, to fit the sport. And we found that uh, we ran across a lot of cheap swords that the tips would break off. So uh, we started banning manufacturers where they were where they were kind of weakly made weapons. And then we started testing weapons. Uh, we have something we call the anvil test. Basically, it's an anvil, and we smack the anvil. And if, it, if the weapon cracks at that point, you can't use it. Um, once a manufacturer has been tested several times, we know that the manufacturer is going to be a, a pretty solid manufacturer. We don't have to continue to, to angle test the weapons. How does the how does the sort of the training schedule work in terms of like with MMA fighters? They have a training camp for three months. The Monday to three sessions a day, Monday to Friday. What's well, just like just like other martial arts schools, it's it's kind of independent. We don't as a national organization or as an international organization say hey this is how you have to work out everybody's got a different way of working out and people have different ways of working out for their body type for example there's people that do, a lot of people that do crossfit um, for our sport um, i never did crossfit i just did marine corps uh, type uh, of uh, working out um, a lot of people will follow whatever they did in the military uh, but everybody's body's different, so workouts don't always match for everybody. You know, uh, running running workout for a big brawler is, doesn't always work out, and and uh, you know heavyweight workouts for for running types are, don't always work out. So we kind of leave that up to the individual organization or club or the, or the huh. chapter. So there's no weight classes then. Not with uh, not with most duels and not with melee at all no so you'll have people of all different sizes out on the melee field and you'll find that you know there's strength in in different sizes you know, smaller people are a lot faster on their feet and they're a lot wiry um bigger guys are, are slower they don't, they don't generally have the the, the coordination that the, the smaller guys will have and people find their strengths and weaknesses there is a, a type of fight that we do called night fighting. It's more of a brawl, and that actually has a weight class. That, that actually, uh, we, we try to keep people in, their, in the weight class. But for the most part, really in our sport, the most popular uh, uh, activity is the melee fighting, the team fighting. Okay. And with, with you, so you've been in various sort of TV programs, like night fights and other things. How... Do they do they censor you a bit, or like what what what's it like worth doing your passion with TV producers? And I mean, you don't. Well, have to go. It it's sometimes um, I, I've worked with some producers that uh, would tell you what to say, and that just rubs me wrong. Um, I don't like to be told what to say. Yeah. Uh, I like to be genuine, so I don't like to have somebody tell me, "Hey, I mean, I'm not an actor." Um, and, and if you're, you're watching, and you, you want to see what the real truth is of our sport. I try to be extremely truthful. Um, so I've had to work with some, some people that were difficult, but I have to say when I did the history channel, uh, production, and I'm not saying it for, uh, for, for any other reason other than it's the truth. They were so, so easy to work with. And it really blew my mind because I was expecting something other than that. But they made me a partner in the show and um they would say hey andre you know how do you want to do this or how do you want to do that and uh you know there was teleprompters that were up and um the the main host uh uh jay Risa, who's a, a, a wwf uh, superstar um 
great guy, but he didn't know our sport like I knew our sport. So he had a teleprompter and he used the teleprompter. But for the most part, they took the teleprompter away from me, um, like like in the first show. And they said, Andre, just speak, speak it from your heart. So I was able to able to say exactly what I wanted to say. I didn't have to read off a teleprompter. The only time I ever read off a teleprompter is some of the history bits, um, which I wasn't, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a history wizard. So um, the history uh, stuff, I would read off a teleprompter, but everything else is completely no, no teleprompter. So they really let me kind of say what I wanted to say. Um, they let me take care of the safety issues. They let me take care of my fighters. In our sport, this is real important to know. The ACW is a business, but our business is not making money off of the fighters in the sport. The, the fighters in the sport are part of our family, so everything we do, we try to take care of that. We try to take good care of our fighters. Um, the people that, that are the paying customers are the people that come to see our fighters fight. So you know that's that's where the, the business uh, makes money. So in the TV show, if there was a safety issue, I could stop the I could stop the fighting and say, hey, no, we, we're not going to do that. In fact, there was an episode, and I didn't even know it until I saw the episode, where somebody came out with a two-handed axe, and the guys were wearing lighter armor, and I said, no, you can't use that. Somebody's going to get hurt. And I got up and and we cut down the axe, and they followed me with the camera, but I hadn't realized that they had filmed that and put that into the uh, into the TV show until I saw it. But they were very, very accommodating. It was a great group of people to work with. Mm. It's, yeah, what's, I mean, it makes, what, what, what are things that you find, so you don't like people censoring you and you don't like sort of people over-dramatizing things that don't need to be dramatized. Is that right? Right. Yeah, the, the sport's exciting enough as it is. Now, these are really people, real people out there and they're giving it their best, and there's there's lots of drama out there. You, you got guys that'll come out for the team, and they'll say, "Hey, uh, boss, I want to I want to make the, the the best team this year, and I want to go overseas and represent the United States." You know, what do I have to do? And I'll have to say to them, "Well, first thing you have to do is lose 100 pounds because you're you're severely overweight." And some of those guys will come back in a couple of months, or you know, hey, six months later, and they'll be like, "All right, what do you need me to do next?" And they look great because they've really put the effort in. And on the other side, you've got people that have been athletes all their life and have been very, very successful in some of the sports, and then they try out our sport. And because they were so successful at what they did before, they didn't try as hard for, for what our sport is, and they found it very difficult, and they didn't succeed, where you thought, oh, this guy's a real athlete. He's going to do well. Um, you know, you look at some of the guys on the TV show and you look at him and you go, well, this guy's not in shape. Uh, you'll see a guy that, that weighs 350 pounds. You look at him and you're like, oh, this guy doesn't look like he's in shape, but he's out there and he'll fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. He's in fantastic shape. He's built for this sport and he trains for this sport in particular. And it does take a particular type of athlete for this sport. Mm. So it's a bit like Andy Ruiz when he beat Anthony Joshua. Like you wouldn't expect him to win, but he did. Right, right. Or you look at uh, Butterbean. Remember Butterbean? He was a he was a, a big, big dude, big fat dude. And he was doing boxing when he first came out with MMA. Yeah, it's probably before your time. But it was this guy named ah. Butterbean, gigantic, big, big fat dude. And you looked at him, and you go, this this fat guy is going to get beat because this guy's this other guy's in great shape. And Butterbean would would beat him just because he trained for that sport and he was he was good at it. You know, that's an intriguing thing because I'd always wonder why, like, people that don't look aesthetically sort of suited for sport do well at it. I mean, it, I'll be intrigued to find out what, how important all that sort of stuff is in terms of sport. Well, I think it depends on what the, you know, what the requirements are for, for the sport. Now, if you look at guys that do, um, uh, these guys that are, that are strong men. You know, yeah. You look at some of the guys. A lot of them don't look like they don't look like bodybuilders. They're mm. just really, really, really strong because that's what they train for. And, and some of them look like big fat guys, but they're really, really strong. And well, we've got a couple of guys like that in our sport where they look like a fat dude, but the guy's really strong and has great endurance because he's been training. Yeah. It, 
do you think it's just genetics or like diet or you just it's just the way it is i think there is of course genetics and diet play into it but i think that to be a champion in any sport this is and this are the two most important things you have to have the heart and the desire and you have to have the discipline to train and you have to have the the, the, the willpower to stay in a fight longer than your opponent particularly in the, in the combat sports um you know, there's been times when, when I've been gasping, gasping, gasping for air and, and felt like it couldn't go long, it couldn't go on any longer. And I had no choice. I had to. You know, my team was still out there and, and it's sheer willpower. A lot of people will just drop at that point and they'll, they'll fall out of the fight. And while, while my teammate is standing, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight until, until the very end. And that's, you know, that's sheer willpower. And that's the difference between a champion and an average fighter. You know, somebody that can take themselves through through the very limit of what they think they can go, and they continue to to, to perform. Mm. What? Um, yeah. What would you say has been? Is how does a show sort of? How does it generally work out? I mean, in the in a fight in a show, like do they have like a? warm-up post to warm everyone up like they do in talent shows or i mean this is a silly question but do they have ringos how how does the whole things no on the tv show there wasn't any any warm-ups um you know you stretched out and you did whatever warm-ups you wanted to do on your own and then you went out there and you fought you know we didn't know who the winner was going to be i mean i had an idea who the most likely winner might be um, only because I knew a lot of the guys on the, on the TV show and I knew what they were capable of. Um, it, it was no surprise to me that, that some of these guys made it to the end just because they're, they're such fantastic athletes. Um, but um, no, there wasn't any warm-up. It was, you know, we didn't know who was going to win and, and they just went out there and they fought it out. Is, this may sound like a silly question, but is there anything like, trash talk that you see in boxing or MMA where they try and hype things up in your sport? When I started this back in 2011, um, I gathered everybody together and uh, we had our very first practice room when we had sent our 29 guys overseas. And I set a culture and I started a culture and our culture is that we don't trash talk and that we treat everybody. I said, you don't have to, you don't have to like everybody here. It's not important that you like everybody here. You just have to love it. And what do I mean by that? Everybody gets treated like your brother or your sister here. You know, you may not get along with your brother, you may not get along with your sister, but they're family and, and you're gonna have their back and you're not gonna do something to them that you wouldn't do to your own family. And this is a dangerous sport and we have the opportunity, we, you might see an opportunity to open up where you could really hurt somebody. I don't want that happening here. You know, we want people taken down quickly and efficiently. Um, I don't want to break somebody to the point where they can't go to work on a Monday. That's not what we're trying to do out here. We're trying to put people down to the ground quickly and efficiently, or, or we're trying to get our point. Um, there are some people in the sport, uh, not in my league, but in the sport that go out just specifically try to hurt people. That's not what I want. So trash talking is, um, is not something that we do in our league. Uh, it's not something I would encourage. It's not something I like. You know, we, we have to be, these guys need to respect each other because they're carrying dangerous weapons out there. And if they lose respect for each other, somebody's going to get hurt very, very badly. On the TV show, some of the producers wanted that trash talk, um, not understanding our, our, our culture, just looking at the way sports are done nowadays. And I sat down with them and I said, that's not our culture. And, and we're trying to do something here that's more knightly, more honorable, more chivalrous. You know, we want to do something where, where people are respectful of each other. And, and thankfully, the producers were very, very good about, you know, showing that aspect and showing, hey, you know, we're, we're fighting as hard as you can. And, and believe me, there's more respect if you go out there and you try to take me down with everything you've got. But the moment the fight's over, we help each other up, we dust each other off, and that night we're having a beer and a steak with each other. So it's a, it's a, our culture is different. Our culture is about respect more than trash talk. And on top of that, how, how do you guys, 
like make a spectacle of each show is when you're trying to get people to buy tickets and like and how is the show structured the spectacle was in the fights you know the, the the we don't have to go out there and trash talk you can you can talk about people's records you can talk about where they're from you know we've got people from all over the place and we're traveling all over the place doing some of these shows and and, and such but you can talk about people's background. You can talk about, you know, whatever you want to talk about to, to lead up to it. But the spectacle is the show itself. And watching it on TV is great, but actually physically seeing this, physically being there in the presence of this combat, it's much more visceral. It's, it's you know, you, you, you've got the smells. You, you miss out on, on TV. You might miss out on some of the sparks that are flying from the weapons. Um, there's, a, there's a smell like an ozone smell, uh, you know, when these weapons are, are hitting armor. Um, this, the, the sound is different, you know, when you're in person. Um, the smell of the sweat and, and the smell of the ozone, it, it's just, it's a, it's a complete visceral experience when you're there in person and you get to, you get to see the, the, the combat. Mm. Okay. No, I was just intrigued because like when I look at like w like wrestling or lots of other sports, they always have like sort of a sh show element and I was just intrigued. Yeah. Um, we try to keep it a little bit more real and you know what, in the end, it may be that, you know, that we're doing it wrong. You know, maybe you know, it's possible that what we're doing is, is, is wrong, but but again, my, I serve my fighters and, and I want to give them something that they can be proud of and something they can be, they can say, Hey, what we do is an honorable uh, sport. And, uh, at the, at the end of the day, I think there's plenty of interest in it. Um, you know, if it wasn't for COVID right now, we'd probably be working on another TV show and probably a tour right now. Um, but there's, I think people like the way we do things and it's different. You know, we could be like everybody else and go out there and thump our chest and talk about how bad we are. But in the end, people don't really like that. You know, it's, it's, it's drama and people are drawn to that like a train wreck. But what do they like? It seems like people really, really like that, that, that uh, esprit de corps and uh, the good sportsmanship and, and people helping each other up. I mean, you know, the live show when somebody gets knocked down. And at the end, somebody comes over and, and picks them up and helps them up or pick their opponent up and, and, you know, give them a hug. The crowd goes crazy for that. They love that. They love the good feeling about that. Maybe it's time that we're, you know, we're due for some more reality where, where people are more respectful with each other. In today's world, you know, you're watching the news every day. There's no respect. There's no respect for, for anybody. But in our world, in our, in our culture, there is respect. Hmm. Well, I think we live in a world where it's sort of drama and sort of animosity seems to sell with a lot of things. Well, in the end, I'm not doing this to become a millionaire. I'm doing it to take care of my fighters. Yeah. Well, what, what have been some interesting stories you've had that have really sort of, that are really unique and interesting during your time? Um, I'll tell you a good story. Uh, it is, it's interesting when countries come together to fight. Um, you, you know, being a Marine and being in as long as I've been in, I'm a Cold War uh, veteran. And, you know, I was around when, you know, when, uh, you know, when the bad guy was Russia and, you know, who knows, maybe we're going back to those days again, but, um, you know, and, and, uh, I did 32 years, so and I fought in two wars, and you know I, I was I was trained at um, you know during the, that Cold War era. But um, we went overseas. One of the, uh, the second year we went overseas, we were in France, and uh, we were I had a meeting with the American team, and we marched out in the uh, out, out into an area, and we went up. Um, a town called Igmo in uh, France, a beautiful, beautiful town in, um, uh, in France, a, a crusader uh, uh, village, a walled city, beautiful. Um, you know, we don't, uh, it, but, you know, that may not be as exciting for you because you live there with all that history, but uh, for us, you know, it's amazing, you know? 
And um, I was having a meeting with the American team and one of the other teams from, from uh, Eastern Europe came over and it looked like they wanted to have some sort of, you know, like they, they were being a little disrespectful. And uh, we just ignored it because I didn't want to have any sort of incident. Um, but they started gathering the numbers. And, uh, you know, it started, it looked like it was about to turn into a brawl. And it's funny because uh, the English team came over and they marched over and sat, they came over and sat to the next to us. And we're all in our colors. So we're wearing a uniform, red, white, and blue uniform. And English guys come over and we start shaking hands and they're like, they came over and they said, yeah, it looked like uh, there was going to be some trouble. So we figured we'd come over and stand next to you guys. It was just nice. You know, it was a, a, a kind of a nice incident. And we've never really had any uh, major issues, you know, where there was, you know, brawls outside of the, outside of the list field. And it was the first starting years where, where the United States and England had just gotten involved in the sport. The sport had started in Eastern Europe, and uh, I think the Eastern Europeans were didn't know what to expect from from us. Um, so I think that they were they were kind of being a little macho at the time. And you know, we went over, we shook their hands, and, and became friends with them eventually. We never had that issue, you know, going forward. But there's always something interesting going on. You know, the more people you meet, the more experiences you have. There's, there's always something. Something interesting going on. Um, but my first year in armor, um, and I've, I've been building armor for years. I'd fought for 25 years before I started doing steel combat. Um, and uh, my first year in armor, I had built my armor out of a out of a out of a very light um, spring steel alloy uh, called 301 spring stainless. Um, Elon Musk actually made SpaceX out of it, so it's a pretty it's oh. a pretty advanced material but I made my armor out of this very very lightweight uh, material doesn't dent very easy um, also has a lot of flexibility in it, and, and it resists uh, the blows it was great for what we do and um, the first year we went out to Poland and we were fighting against the Russian team and the Russians were beating us and I was one of the last guys standing and I had two guys in front of me fighting me and I had three guys behind me with axes just hitting me, hitting me, hitting me, hitting me. And I was exhausted. I couldn't fight any, any anymore. Eventually I went down and I walked off to the field and I went to get a drink of water and I, I heard somebody clear their throat next to me and I looked up and there's the five Russians I was fighting. And uh, two of them they put their shield down by my feet. Two of them took their weapons and put their, their weapons down by my feet. And their captain came over and he pulled a pin off of his shirt and he said, this is from the most brutal bohurt. Bohurt is what they do, what they call the, the, the melee. He says, this is from the most brutal bohurt in Russia. He goes, you are tough. And I, it was just, you know, it was an amazing feeling, um, you know, having somebody compliment you uh, like that. But really, it was really the armor, you know. Uh, yeah, there was some willpower in me standing up and, and taking that beating, but the armor was really doing its job. So I, I think that they hadn't seen armor like that before. And it, I think they thought they were really hurting me when truthfully they weren't. Hmm. But it was, uh, yeah, there's lots of, lots of cool stuff that's happened over the years. There's, so in regards to a lot of medieval films and like programs that are around at the moment, you've got Game of Thrones. You got the Witcher. You got the Last Kingdom. Do you guys occasionally get some involvement with them? Like you tell them what they need to do this or? No, um, no, we haven't had much, much interaction with people doing uh, in the film industry. I think that um, theatrical sword fighting is a niche of its own, and and people have their own way of of, uh, of teaching that. To make it look better on film, I think actual combat may not look as pretty as what they what they you know as what they portray on film. You know, when we're when when there's actual uh, combat and people are actually fighting, and I, I don't think it's the same as what um, you know. You'll see, for example, you'll see somebody with a sword, and they'll flip the sword over, like they'll do this twirl with their wrist, which you would never ever do in combat. Um, a real fighter would never do that because as soon as somebody 
lifted, uh, pulled their wrist back to flip their sword, I'd hit them right in their hand and break their wrist, you know, and that would be the end of the fight. So it's, it's, you know, it's not always a realistic, I think what they do for, for movies is just looks a lot better than the real thing sometimes. It's a, bit, it's a bit it's a bit like um because I, I was looking a bit into this and maybe you've watched it as well uh cobra kai that's oh yeah 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 i watch it with my family because i mean i watch a lot of it and the choreography is amazing but like in a real life situation i mean it's 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 not really as practical as it could be with a lot of the stuff you see on right, they're not going to wait one at a time to fight you yeah. Yeah. If you get jumped by five guys, chances are two of them are holding your arms for the other guys you beat on you. It's not one guy at a, at a time fighting. It's yeah. It's funny in the movies though they make it. Look. <laughs> yeah, and like the when they in all these shooting scenes, like you see Arnold Schwarzenegger or other guys, they know, kill twenty people and they always end with a cool catchphrase. Oh, stick around. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have to suspend your disbelief and you have to realize it's for, it's there for entertainment value. And, you know, just, uh, I look at it, I mean, I'm entertained by that sort of stuff, but I but I know the difference. And, you know, I've had the ability to, again, I've, I've, I've fought in two wars and I do do, uh, you know, combat with, with weapons. So I know what reality looks like and, it, and it, it's just not as pretty as what they put on, on TV sometimes. And Anything I want to say, so you like you're obviously expanding worldwide, and you must. I mean, you said away you've had a few challenges, but like, what apart from COVID 19, what have been the biggest challenges in terms of expanding to other territories? People, um, people can challenge, you know. It, I think that sometimes, uh, egos in this sport. Uh, can get in the way. I think that happens with with any kind of sport. Uh, I have a policy of not. I, I don't let somebody's ego get get carried away. Um, we've we've had some guys that are really really good fighters, really good fighters, but if they walk around and they they they, they step on other people because of their ego, I really don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't really care how good of a fighter they are. Um, it, it just doesn't it doesn't play for me. Again, I'm I'm here to take care of my fighters and and I serve uh, the fighters and we our organization Armor Combat Worldwide is a organization where people can come in from any walk of life, any religion, any skin color, uh, you know, whatever your sexual preference is. It's an open door. Everybody can try it out. Um, we don't. You know, and, and it's, it's got to be a safe place for everybody. It's the family. And when somebody walks in and they think they're more important than everybody else there, it doesn't work sometimes. Um, the other thing is sometimes when you grow and, and, and you build something big, uh, people look at it and they threaten, they find it threatening or they, 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 they'll try to take something that you've built and make it their own. You know, it's the, it's the story of life. You know, it's the same thing. People are the biggest challenge. It, it's, you know, you have some really good people, and I'm and I'm thankful, and I've run across some some people that are extremely selfish or unethical or immoral that I, I just don't want to have nothing to do with them. That's there's a lot of interesting things you're putting out there because I found it quite interesting as well. And I mean, this don't laugh at this, but a friend of mine posted a quote on Facebook, and like, let me have a quick look for it. But it said something on, it says, I could good person doesn't need to show you that they're a good person and like a strong person doesn't need to show that you that they're a strong person and an honest person doesn't need to tell you how honest they are right uh, yeah, your actions should speak louder than your words yeah i mean i suppose it's it's a good way as well that you set it up like the way you have because i mean there are people like like with conor mcgregor and the ufc in a way he doesn't he's he's gotten too big for his boots and is a bit all over the place i mean how would you deal with someone like that <laughs> i'd get rid of them i just get rid of them i don't i don't if you're if you are if you are threatening 
the good time of the rest of my family. I just get rid of people like that. It's not worth it. We've grown tremendously by doing that too. I've had a few prima donnas over the, over the years that were trouble. And, uh, you know, we would have team meetings and we'd go to the team meeting and, and, you know, two or three guys decided they were going to go off and go do their own thing instead of coming to the team meeting. Well, it's a team building exercise and, and it's about a sweet accord. It's about, you know, it's about unity. And if you think that you're more important than the team, exercise or a team meeting and the team meeting might be us taking you to dinner it's not like it's a it's a terrible thing like you're going to go you know pay somebody or or make them work out or whatever but you know they'll find people like that won't help you on the field either you know if you're not if you're in a team and you've got 10 guys on the field and one guy is all he's interested in is, is taking people down for himself he's not worried about interacting with the team and making sure that the team works well as a team then you can lose a fight that way, you know. If, you, if all he's worried about is his own his own personal glory, so I, I just don't have patience for people like that, and I get rid of them. And when I get rid of them, inevitably our membership goes up because people will, will say, "Hey, is that person still out there? And are they still participating with you?" And I'll go, "No," and they'll say, "Okay, I'd like to join." So we end up getting better people. What? So yeah, ego can be a very destructive thing, and but what's it called? I was watching a documentary on Eddie Hall and from Britain, and he was the world's strongest man in 2017. And someone called him a narcissist. And he says, like, to be successful, you have to have that sort of belief that you can be the best in order to get the yeah, stage where you're confident. That's so, a different, uh, it's a different thing. You know, ego is not a terrible thing. Bad use of that ego is a terrible thing. If you can believe in yourself and you can build, you, you, there's no way anybody's going to follow me if I don't believe in myself. No one's going to follow me. I've got a, I've got a lot of people following me right now. It's, I do believe in myself, but I don't go out there and say, "Hey, I'm a better fighter than you, and I'd kick your ass, and you know, and you, you'll never be what I was, and what I've done, you'll never do it." I, you can't do stuff like that. And when I see a new person in the league. I'll say, who's the most important person in this league? And they'll say, you are, boss. And I go, no, I'm not. I go, you are. You're the new guy. I go, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to be, I'm the future, you're the future of this sport, not me. I'm going to be dead and gone by the time, you, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be doing my job. You know, the, the, you can't use that ego in a negative manner, but you definitely have to believe in yourself. Nobody that believe if you don't believe in yourself, and that's something you learn in the Marine Corps too. Like, who's going to follow me if I'm out there and I'm telling, you know, I don't believe in myself? It'll come across right away, and especially in a high stress situation. If you don't believe in yourself, believe me, you'll screw that situation up if you're the boss. And another interesting point you pointed out was that when you've expanded, you've had people try and steal different things. And this is an interesting point because. I think this goes across all industries because in comedy, what I'm involved in, there's a lot of people that will steal other people's jokes, especially if they're higher up and try and get away with it. And there's a lot of like stealing of this or stealing of that. And me being a comedian myself, I'm a bit cautious about being about people trying to steal this and that because it's a bit like you have to work harder to start over again. Or like it's been a good way in some ways because I know how to be more cautious, but yeah, you say that that's a part of life. So what's, it's an interesting point. How do you sort of handle that? Well, they, they can only steal so much. You know, they can steal, they can steal products that you've created. They can steal um, some of the things that you've created. There's nothing you can do about that because people, people will steal stuff. But the things they can't steal is who you are and how you do things, you know? And that's how we've succeeded. And that's the reason why, you know, if you take all of the steel fighting organizations in the United States and you added them all together, they would be less than half our size. And it's because the people that are running them, most of them started with our organization and then they broke off and they, they started, they wanted to start their own thing or they, they thought that there was some sort of power or money involved and and they thought that they wanted to have that for themselves so they kind of took took their group and they they started something of their own and 
you know, in the end, they can't steal our organization. They can't steal me. They can't steal who I am. They can only take stuff. Now, you can take stuff, but if you don't know what to do with it, same with your, with, with comedy. You know, your delivery, timing, all that other stuff, that important things that come with, with uh, comedy, they can't steal who you are. They can just steal your jokes. Yeah, it was a difficult thing because in comedy, there's a bit of like, yeah, it's it's not all based on like how good you are, how funny you are. It's, it's based on all this sort of, as you say, stuff that you don't like. There's a lot of bullshit around it that you've got to be careful of as well. And it's an interesting thing because you pointed out there because I was reading um, Robert Greene's 43 Laws of Power, whatever, and he, uh, you Nikolai Tesla, like he was an extremely sort of creative and inventive man, but he had so much of his stuff stolen from him. And, and when I read that book, I think of, you know, bloody hell, he, he did so many amazing things, but he wasn't sort of accredited to it. Whilst the, uh, the guy that created the light bulb, he, I hear that he worked in a patent office. So it's a bit, yeah. But here you go, here's the truth of it. It's, it's 100 years later, we know who Tesla was. We know who Edison was. We know Edison was an asshole. We know te Tesla was a great and talented man. So in the end, we do know the truth. In the end, the, the proof of my statement is right there. They, they couldn't steal who he was. He still came through. The truth came out. A good friend of mine says the truth is like a, like a uh, beach ball. You, you, you can try to put it under the water all you want, but eventually it comes popping up to the surface. You can't, you can't hide it. Okay. You know, and and if, you know, we know that Tesla was a great man. We know that he, he made some amazing things. Yeah, uh, Edison stole tons of stuff from him, but we 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 know who he was. You know, we know that Thomas Edison wasn't the great man that everybody thought he was, and we know that Tesla was. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing, and like he he so, didn't he sort of inspire Elon Musk as well in a way some of the stuff he's doing. I would, I would think so, being his, his company's name is Tesla, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But I mean, Elon Musk is, I mean, he's, he's a pure example, fantastic example of what to do with your life. Right, right, exactly. It's, so one thing I also want to ask as well, how do you sort of balance sort of the work schedule of it? Because you obviously got family, you got this, all sorts of things going on. And he says when he works sort of 80 hour work weeks that he tries to get some sleep because it affects his mental acuity. How do you balance sort of getting key things done, but also making sure that there's a sense of mental acuity? Because I did a stupid thing before. I tried to work very hard and I'd get no sleep. I'll work in a job in Starbucks, do different things, do this and that. But there was no real sort of th thought process behind it. And I'm not going to go on too long, but some comedians, when they're doing things, they gig and gig and they do the same things, but they're not getting any better. They're not thinking about things. And I watched this great film called Boys in the Hood, and I thought it was fantastic. And there was a good point by um, the, the father in it, Furious Stars. He says, like, why do they have a liquor store and a gun shop in black neighborhoods? And he says, like, they want to they want to kill them to kill each other and it makes me think that you've got to think about things if you because you you have to think about things otherwise you're just going to go in the same corner again and again and not get anywhere no, i agree i agree well sleep obviously uh is is exceedingly important and um i learned you know, early on, you know, during Desert Storm, uh, we, we worked 20 hour days. We were allowed four hours of sleep. And we did that for a long time. And it, it started to get to you. Uh, you know, you would start hallucinating. You would, you know, it was, it was a bad situation to be in. And, and it, the moment you went to sleep, it felt like somebody was waking you up. You know, somebody would wake you up and you'd be like, I just, I just got in, I just got off a mission. And they're like, well, you know, you've been sleeping for four hours. It's time to, time to get up and get, get back on mission again. And, uh, you know, as you get older, as I got older, I realized uh, sleep was very important. And I, I sacrifice, unfortunately, I have to sacrifice a lot of my social time uh, for sleep. So when we do a big event and we do fighting or whatever the case may be, I don't go out and drink. 
with the guys to all hours. I'll, I might have a drink and a bite to eat with them, and then I go home and I go to bed. But they all know me as the guy that goes to bed early. Um, I go to bed early. I wake up early. Um, but sleep is, is very, very important. My family, I think, uh, suffered uh, when, when I was doing the Marine Corps and all of these things, I was away a lot. Uh, and, and now that I'm retired from the Marine Corps, I've been kind of focusing on my family and spending more time with my family because I feel like I missed them. I've got young kids. I, I started late. I, I didn't get married until I was 40. Uh, so I've got a 10 year old son and a 14 year old son and, and I'm trying to make up for it now and spend as much time with them as possible, uh, and be a good dad and, and still do all these other things as well. Hmm. What, so what? What advice would you provide for someone to, to get them to see the sort of the fruits of doing their own thing rather than just doing a job they hate but making lots of money? Well, for me, I mean, it depends on what they're doing, but I mean, you know, I went to college. Um, my first degree, I got a, a degree in biology, like I said, it was too broad. I couldn't really get a good job with that. I went back to school and I had my, my degree in hydrogeology, which was a lot more specific. Um, but I ended up, you know, making armor and that was where my passion was. And, um, you know, it, I think that, I think that you can, I think you can do something, you can test the waters like I did in some situations, you can kind of test the waters and see if you're going to be successful, see if you really like what, what you're doing. And just, you know, you might have to work longer hours. You know, you might have to work 12 hours a day instead of eight hours a day. Um, you know, doing your full-time job for eight hours and then putting four hours towards your, your, your new idea, whether it's schooling, um, whether it's training, whether it's starting a new business, whatever it is, I think you have to double down and you can have to spend more more hours of the day and you know your social life will suffer but um if that's what you want to do you you have to do that if you're you know i think i think a lot of people are focused on their social life and um and that's very important and there's nothing wrong with that but if you want to dream if you want to to, to have your dream you have to find a way of incorporating uh, some extra time towards towards delving into that dream. Luckily for me, in, in my life, uh, my social life, I'm I'm with the, I'm around people that I like to be around. I like you know yeah. other people that they're sword fighting and people that are involved in armor and, and wearing armor and fighting and you know so my social life was kind of it was nurtured through my business. So. Um, I would go away and I'd be happy to see him. I think that's one of the reasons why the culture is about family. I didn't want to go to do my job and be around a bunch of people I didn't like, and I didn't yeah. want people misbehaving. So I wanted to be around people. When I show up, I want people to be happy to see me. I want to be happy to see them. I don't want to be the asshole boss. I wanted to be, you know, sort of like the guy, the, 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 the older statesman who, who's done this, all this stuff, and they're happy to see him. And by the way, I'm bringing you something new. You know, my whole thing is bringing goodies to my guys. Um, when I run events, I always try to, you know, a lot of our events, most of our events are free for our members. And um, we're, we've got a national tournament that's coming up in Galveston uh, next month, Galveston, Texas. And they don't have to pay to, to go fight in the tournament. Um, you know, that all the costs are covered. We'll have bottled water there for them, so don't have to worry about that. We'll have some sort of food there for them. Um, all that comes for free. And then I'll give them T-shirts, and I'll give them this. I, I'll just give out goodies because, you know, that's that's what I wanted to do. So w when I show up at an event, most people are pretty happy to see me. You know, I'm not the boss coming down, telling them what to do and yelling at them. I'm, 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 I'm sort of like the grandfather that's got all the goodies. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's I think that's a hard thing that a lot of people do. It's it's yeah, they say it there's a saying I think that my father told me that if you mix the dogs you get fleas. So you have to be yeah, it's a difficult decision, but you have to be very controlled what you let into your circle and you have to control that. And I don't want to be that guy. I hate to be that guy, but I but I have to be that guy sometimes and I have to tell somebody that they're no longer welcome here. You know, we've, we've had people who 
have been uh, racist. We've had people that have been, um, like I said, just so far egotistical that that they would step on everybody else, and you know, it's not pleasant for people. And I, I just don't want that. You know, we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the bigger we get, the more important it is for people to behave. I think if you set these controls and you set borders up, I hate to, I hate to make the analogy, but you know, we know when you set rules for children, they'll behave. Well, it's no different for, for people either, you know, for, for adults. It really isn't. If you say, hey, look, we're not about that. We don't do that here. And, and that's kind of the catchphrase. I don't have to be around all the time because I've built this culture where, we, where there's respect and, and people behave themselves. And uh, when a new guy shows up and he's across the country, he sits hours away from me. It's not me telling him, hey, you need to behave. It's the local people saying, hey, we don't do that in our, in our organization. That's not our culture to act like that. And they correct me. And a lot of times people will fix themselves. A lot of times people are watching, you know, they're watching the, the public and they're seeing how people uh, behave. And they go, well, that must be the way I'm supposed to behave. And they'll be nasty and they'll be rude and they'll be... You know, they'll, they'll be very uh, selfish. But if they show up in our culture and we go, that's not the way we act here, they'll, they'll find a lot of times people will change and they'll find that it's, that it's, they like it. They like it. They change because they like that. They like it. They don't change just because they have to. And they have to because we won't accept them otherwise. But they'll find that they like being that way too. People get along. People are happy to see each other. People aren't, you know, they're not grinding your teeth when they see somebody coming. Yeah. <clears throat> what? Yeah. Well, that's well, one. Th I've got one other thing to ask as well. What? Um, so, in regards to like your expansion in the UK, what sort of things are you doing over here? Well, we just started the chapter, um, and uh, our local chapter president, his name is Graham Sinclair. He's he's starting to recruit some people to uh, to the chapter, to the London chapter, and um, he's also actually gone out and started talking to some uh, some of the estates um, that are close to London because we actually want to do an event in London, bring some of the guys from America, bring some of the guys from the other countries, come on. And, and do a, an event in uh, in England, and um, he's been helping us with that. But you know, the whole idea is to grow our family, and we don't even want to show up. The, the English guys haven't been fighting for long, but they're great guys and they're very very athletic. But they haven't been fighting for very long, so our point is not to show up with a great American team and and, and beat the the guys who haven't been fighting. Um, our point is actually to split the teams up and have Americans and Englishmen fighting on the same side against another team that's, you know, American and English, and maybe we'll have, you know, American and Mexican team or American Canadian team, and just kind of be a family, just make up these teams and go out there and, and have a good time, and, and kind of, it's kind of like a, a exhibition fight, um, but also good training too for people to kind of interact with people and, and for the English guys to be part of the team with some guys with some experience on it. Okay. With and um, and when when do you when is like when do you is the first sort of show or thing going to be in place as a whole? Well, we're just starting to look in in England right now, so we don't have any dates yet. We're kind of looking at maybe next summer uh, doing something, um, but we don't have anything that that's hard. And of course, everything depends on COVID too. You know. How have you sort of adjusted to producing shows because of COVID? We shut everything down. Everything has been shut down. Our first show, or well, our first show, which was a small show, was in August, and it was outside. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to, usually we do shows inside, uh, in, in either in a horse arenas or convention centers or something along those lines. Um, but we, we've gone to outside uh, shows and many of our shows have been shut down either by us or by by uh, the organizations that we've been working with. Um, there's not a lot going on. So this this show um, in Galveston is going to be a national level tournament. As a matter of fact, Graham was supposed to come out uh, from from London and fight in that, 
And uh, he says now that um, there's been a bit of a travel ban for people coming to the United States, so it's going to be difficult for, for him to come. And, you know, we're understanding it's COVID, you know, and I, I just want people to be healthy and, and uh, you know, make good choices for their lives. So, you know, he's probably not going to be able to make it out for that, but we'll have, we'll have probably half the amount of fighters that we usually have uh, at that show. So, you know, instead of having, you know, 100, 150 fighters, we'll probably have 50 to 75 fighters at that show. Okay. And yeah, are they just going to wear the same sort of armor and weapons as before? Or are they going to wear some sort of shield, face shields on top of that? Or are they going to... No, what, we're going to do some... Um, we're going to do some uh, check-in registration uh, process. Uh, we're going to take everybody's temperature. We're going to we're going to do pulse oximeter, um, and we've got a couple other things uh, to try to mitigate the spread of any sort of disease. But after that, you know, you, it's hard enough to breathe inside a helmet because most of the helmets are closed. Um, so uh, there probably won't be any masks on underneath the helmets. Hmm. Okay. Um, no, thank, thank you for appearing on the podcast. It's been, there's a lot of, yeah. points I think a lot of people like myself and other people could take on board with what they're doing. And thank you for that. Um, My pleasure. Got two other questions I want to ask you. What, um, what advice would you give to your younger self? And what is a quote that you'd like to live your life by? Uh, what was the second part? What is a quote you would like to live the rest of you or live your life by? Uh, okay. Well, advice I would give to myself when I was younger, uh, I would have said to start working out at a younger age. I was, I was, uh, I didn't, I, I could have been even better, I think. Uh, had I started working out regularly at a younger age. Um, so that's, that's something I would have done differently. Uh, as far as a quote, um, you know, treat everybody uh, with respect. I think that's, that, that's, the, that's the big thing. You know, treat everybody the way you want to get treated. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's, it doesn't often get fulfilled with a lot of people. <laughs> No, but at the end, you know, I can go to bed at night and I can sleep and, and knowing that I, I did what I did, you know, um, not everybody's going to treat you the same way, but my life is not, is not built on how everybody treats me. You know, I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. If they don't want to do the right thing, that's on them. You know, I, I'm still going to have a successful life. I'm still going to, I'm still going to march forward. Nothing's going to hold me back. So. And I'm, and I'm very happy. And I, you know, in the end, I got, I got a, a beautiful wife and I've got uh, kids and uh, nothing beats family. Nothing does. Yeah. You're happy at the end of the day. You've got things that no one can take from you. That's right. That's it. You can't, I can't, you can't get too twisted up on what people are doing. You know, I just kind of feel sorry for them. I don't even get it. I used to get angry, but I don't even get angry. Anymore. I just feel sorry for them. They, they can't people that steal from you are because they don't have the talent that you have you know they can't do it for themselves so they're, they're, they're taking it from you you know i just feel sorry for them you know they must be sad because they know in their heart that they're stealing something from you they, they know what they're doing and maybe they can't maybe they can sleep with themselves at night maybe not maybe they maybe they cry themselves to sleep because they don't have your talent yeah it's the yeah it's the way the world is it's yeah it's you basically focus on what you're doing effectively is what you're saying yeah that's it and i the other thing too is when i i, I say i feel sorry is i'm a good friend right my friends will tell you i'm a good friend i'll take care of my friends i'll take a bullet from my friends if, if you screw me over i don't come after you i'm not like that i don't i won't come after you i, I mean after fighting in two wars you really gotta do something bad coming after you and if i'm coming after you then bad things are going to happen but I, I don't come after you for human for, for you having a human weakness um i just feel sorry because you're, you're lost a good friend you know I, I try to take care of people i try to look after people and 
you know, if you if you if you ruin the relationship with me, you just don't get that anymore. You know, and and I don't think there's a ton of people that that have that that want to take care of other people. But I need that in my life. I need to take care of other people. That's the reason why I stayed in the service for so long. Hmm. No. Yeah, that's yeah, that's there's a lot in there, man. <laughs> there's a lot. Uh, no. And it's is is there anything that you'd like to plug apart? I could um, if anybody wants to join the league, they can go to acwnights.com. Um, you know, having another chapter in England is not going to hurt us or opening up other chapters all over the world. Um, you know, it's the, if they want to go check that out. And the, the other thing is um, my armory is icefalconarmory.com. Um, you know, if people need armor or weapons for, for, for our sport, then come see me. And that's about it. Okay. Uh, could you, yeah, thank you very much. Could you send it over and then I'll post it about? I will. Okay. Um, yeah, thank you very much. And yeah, take care. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure meeting you, Marlon. Pleasure meeting you too. Bye-bye. Thank you.